Global Business News 24 hours a day at Bloomberg.com, the Radio Plus mobile app, and on your radio. This is a Bloomberg Business Flash. From Bloomberg World Headquarters, I'm Charlie Pellet. The Dow and S&P, they are both trading higher. NASDAQ is lower right now. We have got the S&P up 3 to 23.97. Uh, the closing record for the NASDAQ composite, uh, for the uh, S&P 500 index, 2402.32. That was back on May 15th, so just about five points away there. NASDAQ, it is down three points, a drop there of one-tenth of one percent. Dow Industrials up 42, a gain of two-tenths of one percent. Gold down 530, the ounce, a drop there of four-tenths of one percent. West Texas Intermediate Crude up 28 cents a barrel, 51.41 on WTI. That is a gain of six-tenths of one percent. We were just talking about Bungie. It shares higher now by 14.5 percent. I'm Charlie Pellet, and that is a Bloomberg Business Flash. Thank you very much, Charlie Pellet. You are listening to Bloomberg Markets on Bloomberg Radio. So shares of Whole Foods, they are trading uh, a little bit lower today, still, though, up about 15% so far this year. Craig Giamona is our consumer reporter here at Bloomberg News and says the upscale supermarket success may land in the hands of its sushi-loving shoppers. I just like saying that. Um, before we talk about the solution, Craig, just remind everybody kind of what the biggest problem is for Whole Foods right now. You know, they have a, a lot of problems, to be honest. Um, you know, sales have been down. Same-store sales down seven straight quarters. I think profits down for five straight quarters. Customers fleeing the chain. You know, they're considered overpriced. So they have a lot of executional issues, and they have an activist investor pushing for wholesale changes. Which is crazy because you walk into a store. I mean, they're beautiful stores. There's lots of great stuff there, but there's just not enough shoppers, essentially, I guess. That's the tension that we're sort of trying to get at in the story. You know, you walk into this Bryant Park store, which opened, I think, in January. It's been open a couple months, and it's just – it's a really nice store. It's one of the nicest grocery stores you'll find in New York City, really. I mean, there's people – it's packed. There's people eating sushi. It's a low bar, uh, said the guy who's not in New York City. <laughs> <laughs> you know, you know, fair enough, but, I mean, I think you walk in there, and it, it is – they have created sort of a dining destination. There's, I always want to buy stuff when I'm in there, but I don't right? often walk out with a lot. That's right. And so they, they, they do a really good job of creating this sort of foodie cachet and bringing people into the stores. It still works in places like New York, San Francisco, but, you know, they do have serious executional issues that they have to get under control. So those perfect segue to what issues? Well, I mean, number one is the fact that um, they're just getting pummeled by conventional retailers. You know, Kroger, Costco, Walmart, those guys watched Whole Foods' success, you know, through 2010 and 11 and 12 and said, hey, we can sell organic stuff too. And those guys have really expanded their organic offerings at better prices than Whole Foods. And I think the average customer wants Diet Coke, wants Doritos, maybe wants organic produce. So, you know, the conventional retailers, I think, really upped their game. There was a time there where Whole Foods was the only place to get this stuff, and they really benefited. They could charge a premium. They drew in foodies. They became destinations. But they lost that advantage, and they haven't really responded. So what do they do now? Do they just become this place where you go for kind of great prepared food? Do they start bringing in some of the regular stuff? I mean, their identity has not been to have Doritos in the aisle. Right. So what do they do? What do folks think is the best solution here? There's a segment of people saying, that what they need to do is sort of embrace that place as the premium destination and really kind of retake that that spot and get back to the leading edge. You know, don't dumb it down is what people are saying. Now, you also have a group of people saying as long as they're, you know, 10%, 15% higher price than Kroger, 
there's, they're going to have a hard time drawing in new customers. So they have a loyal group of people that are usually affluent and willing to pay a premium. So you have to sort of keep them in there and then do some pricing work to sort of convince the average shopper that, hey, there's some stuff in here that's more expensive, but it's worth it. And we have basic stuff like milk and butter that is fairly priced, at least competitive with what else is out there. Uh, is, is price the issue? I mean, the, the joke about whole paycheck is not a new one. But but is is price a real issue for these guys in terms of the reason that they're losing customers? I think it has been lately for sure. I mean, we've seen a record streak of food deflation going on that's really prompted a price war amongst, you know, the Safeways and Albertsons and Kroger's and Walmarts of the world. They've taken those lower prices and passed it on, and they're really battling it out. You even have Aldi in there, the German discounter. Now Lidl is showing up. So there's incredible price competition in the grocery industry, and I think that that has put a bright light on just how expensive Whole Foods is. You know, in New York City, Whole Foods probably the best option, right? There's not that many great grocery stores. That's not the case in big parts of the country where people have Walmart, they have Kroger, they just have all these different options. And, you know, some of these conventional retailers like HEB and Wegmans, those have loyal followings too, and they, they've done a great job over the years of sort of bringing in prepared foods, organic stuff, and doing it at better prices. You know, in your story, you also, you know, point out how the companies, you know, in, in terms of cutting costs, includes centralizing much of its buying in Austin. Is there some, you know, in their supply chain, in their infrastructure, are there ways that they can do things better, cut costs? Certainly, these a lot of the investors think so. That you know, the you talk to these investors who are agitating, and they talk about retailing 101. You know, that's essentially it's mm-hmm. like for years the sales growth and the stock price was up and the profit growth. I think that that covered over some issues that kind of crept into the company where they just sort of need to grow up. I mean, they don't they don't even really have a loyalty program. To speak of at this point, I mean, they don't know who's in the stores buying what. When you go into that's a, amazing in this world where we have so much data on individuals and buying patterns. That's that right. They don't really know that Kroger knows. If you're a Kroger shopper, they know exactly what you buy, when you buy it. They can hit you with coupons. Whole Foods is just getting that off the ground. You know, they're just doing things with category management, using data to put the right products on the shelves and get the prices right. So they're they're kind of need to grow up right now and be sort of a. A mature retailer. Craig, I remember talking with Walter Robb, the CEO who was there. He's no longer there. John Mackey, who's come back in, the, the founder of, the, of it, um, and taken over. But he, you know, he even kind of addressed, I mean, they were kind of behind digitally yep. in terms of orders and ordering online. They were behind that curve. Yeah, and they still, they still are. And like I said, I mean, I think, um, for years, they just were high-flying. The stock price just went up and up. The sales went up and up. But as they've lost that advantage, it's the only place in town to get organic stuff. We've now seeing much more attention on those issues, stuff that they've left by the wayside. And, you know, the thing is, they're under pressure. They don't have a ton of time. You know, this, say, is it too late? Well, I don't know if it's too late. I mean, there's incredible brand power there. You know, in an era when retailers are closing and there's bankruptcies, a lot of people would kill for the loyalty that Whole Foods kind of engenders in its customers. It's a great brand name. It's a great brand. It's just a great brand that has executional issues, and they have to get some of that stuff going, and they have to do it quickly. I mean, sales have been down for seven straight quarters. That can't go on too much longer before there's going to be, you know, calls for things like a sale or there's going to be maybe a proxy fight where Jana comes after the board. So all that stuff is still on the table. One wonders if this ends up being a takeover play. I mean, it's, you know, it's the stock's... It's, you know, an earnings growth basis is very expensive, but it's trading at, you know, less than one time sales when the, when the S&P 500 is about two times. You know, you've got even smaller companies like Wegmans that's about half the size in terms of revenues from what we expect as a private company, but you wonder if they would lever up or someone would lever up and take a national footprint in what, uh, make Whole Foods part of their brand. Definitely companies out there that might be interested in them. It'll be really interesting to see what happens with that. 
All right. Love talking to you. Thank you so much. Greg Giamona, consumer reporter at Bloomberg News, in our Bloomberg 113 studio with the latest on, on uh, Whole Foods, as we mentioned, trading lower in today's session, but still up about 14.5% today. Carol Master, Corey Johnson, Bloomberg Markets, Bloomberg Radio. Mobile business news 24 hours a day at Bloomberg.com, the Radio Plus mobile app, and on your radio. This is a Bloomberg Business Flash. From Bloomberg World Headquarters, I'm Charlie Pellet, the Dow, the S&P, NASDAQ, all advancing. NASDAQ could be on track for a record, or actually uh, the S&P could be on track for a record. Let us get the latest on what is happening now as we head right over to the first word breaking news desk for today's afternoon call. Here is Bill Maloney. Good afternoon, Charlie. Main U.S. averages are trading higher for a fourth day right now, with the Dow currently higher by 55 points. SB's gained six, and NASDAQ is trading higher by five. The small cap 600 is up three points, and the U.S. 10 yield at 2.29%. Ten of the main 11 SB sectors are trading higher, led by gains in financials, materials, and health care. Only consumer discretionary fell. NASDAQ biotechs fall a point. Transports rise 52, semis sink 5, and the VIX is down by 1.6%. Leaders to the upside in the Dow are Goldman Sachs, J.P. Morgan, and Caterpillar, while Home Depot and Disney led to the downside. AutoZone plunged 11%. That's most since 2008 after earnings. Alexion fell 9%. The CFO to resign at the end of August, while Bungie soared as much as 18% after Glencore is said to make a takeover approach. In other news, Constellation Brands is said to offer to buy Brown Foreman. CNBC reported the company is said to be not interested in selling. And finally, Intuit reports after the bell. Live from the first of breaking news desk, I'm Bill Maloney. Charlie. All righty. Thank you very much, Bill Maloney. And to hear live breaking news over your Bloomberg type, squawk, S-Q-U-A-W-K, on your terminal. I'm Charlie Pellet. That's a Bloomberg Business Flash. Thank you so much, Charlie Pellet. You are listening to Bloomberg Markets, and this is Bloomberg. Well, President Trump is trying to reshape uh, the the notion of the federal government, what the government does for people. Uh, Justin Sink from Bloomberg News, White House reporter, uh, joins us right now with a look at, at President Trump's uh, budget, a proposed budget. Uh, and, uh, you know, the the story is fairly amazing, uh, um, Justin. I, if, I, if I can read the your lead, just sort of from your, your terrific story on the Bloomberg Terminal, uh, it, it says President Trump's first full budget will dramatically reduce the U.S. government's role in society, hitting hard many of the rural working poor supporters who propelled him to office. Um, that's fairly amazing. Uh, how will it do this? Yeah, so uh, this would it budget, do this? Sure, say. sure. This budget proposes $3.6 trillion in spending cuts over the next 10 years, which is a 40% of non-defense discretionary spending. It's a huge part of, of what the federal government does. And a lot of these cuts focus in on things that are uh, benefits for, for some of the rural communities that elevated Donald Trump. So uh, agricultural subsidies take a huge hit, as do food stamp programs. Um, college uh, college loan repayments are going to become more expensive. And across the board, with the exception of Social Security retirement and Medicare, um, kind of every element of the social safety net becomes harder to access and uh, gives kind of less of the benefits that people have become uh, accustomed to. So Mick Mulvaney, the White House budget director, said it's a taxpayer-first budget, and he said we are no longer going to measure compassion by the number of programs and the amount spent on these programs. Um, we need everyone to pull in the same direction. 
Uh, is everyone pulling in the same direction, or does this unfairly target kind of our low-income population? I mean, obviously, um, you know, depending on where you're coming from and what perspective you are, this is either, uh, you know, the president's supporters would say a tough look at programs that have become bloated and, and um, no longer responsible over time, or the critics of it would say, uh, you know, this is really cutting through the, you know, not only the fat, but the muscle and, and even into the bone um, on really crucial federal programs. And so, you know, there's a, a bit of a mix of perspectives. The thing to remember about all of this, though, is that uh, this is kind of a messaging document from the White House. This is what they'd like to do if they could, make, you know, wave a magic wand and make Congress go away and, and be able to decide the federal budget on their own. Congress is not going away. And so, you know, each of these programs has supporters most likely on both sides of the aisle. And, um, and so whatever spending bill ends up passing through Congress is going to look nothing like what, uh, what this budget proposal is. But messaging for whom? I mean, if, if you, surely he doesn't want to message to his supporters, I don't care about you and giving tax cuts to the guys at Goldman Sachs. Yeah, I, I think there's elements of this that um, are going to appeal to the president's supporters. I think that, um, uh, you know, study after study has shown that um, even recipients of, of social safety net programs aren't always aware that they are. So people uh, getting welfare against welfare. Yes, exactly. So there's that element. I think one element that will get um, support on uh, among lots of Republicans is there are billions of dollars in additional spending for defense, both um, the border wall gets $2.6 billion in the next year through uh, the Department of Homeland Security, and there's a huge uptick for the Pentagon budget. That's something that's going to get a lot of support, um, even from sort of moderate non-Trump Republicans in Congress. And, you know, a lot of Republicans are going to say, even though this whole thing is based on some shaky math um, for how they get there, the idea that the president um, is, is presenting a document that balances the budget over 10 years uh, it is an important messaging tool, even if the way it gets there isn't really realistic. And it, but it does, I think, present a, a sort of difference from from what happened under Barack Obama. We're, we're talking with Justin Sink, White House reporter at Bloomberg News from our bureau in Washington. Justin, to be fair, though, I think there are a fair amount of people across the country who do agree that Washington government has become too bloated. Um, but is there any real consensus, Democrats, Republicans alike, who want to kind of tackle that issue to make sure that when there is spending, it is getting to the right people in a really productive way? Yeah, I mean, so I do think that there there is some bipartisan consensus on waste, fraud, and abuse and, and eliminating as much of that as possible. I think people on both sides of the, the aisle agree about that. But uh, one sort of issue with this budget is – it puts off um, the, the hard questions about the big entitlement programs that are heavy, uh, weighing heavy on the on federal budget. And so if you truly believe that the budget has gotten too big, um, that is a, is a conversation that likely needs to be had. Or if, you know, if you're somebody who believes the government spending is important and that uh, it, it's stimulating the economy, then... Um, you probably want to protect those programs. And so it, it just kind of breaks down on those partisan lines that have, that have defined a lot of the gridlock uh, here in Washington over the last 10 or 20 years. It's right back to the sort of conversations about fake news and what do you believe and, you know, do you believe government can help people or not and the sort of fundamental values. I mean, 
for all the talk about uh, how fake news divides us, there are some fundamental differences that we have in America about the role of government, and this seems yeah. to get right down to it. We're glad to have your article to uh, mm-hmm. help us sort it out because there's a lot more work to be done on the budget issue. Jake Seller, uh, or, or excuse me, uh, Justin Sink, uh, we really appreciate uh, your time. With Thanks for piece. It's a good piece. I'll tweet it out on my uh, Twitter account, at Corey TV. She's at, at Carol Masser. You are listening to Bloomberg Markets, and this is Bloomberg Radio. Broadcasting live to New York, Bloomberg 1130, to Washington, D.C., Bloomberg 991, to Boston, Bloomberg 1200, to San Francisco, Bloomberg 960, to the country, Sirius XM Channel 119, and around the globe, the Bloomberg Radio Plus app and Bloomberg.com. This is Bloomberg Markets. This is Need Bloomberg Markets, Corey Johnson and Carol Masser. Corey Johnson, that's me, here. Last time uh, I checked. 960 Studios, out over the San Francisco Bay, Carol Masser. Back Here, east, me, there. last time I checked. Yes. <laughs> and next to me is Selena Wang, a global technology reporter at Bloomberg. She's got an interesting story about, you know, Americans she pushing. Always does. She always does. Great reporter. And about how Americans are, you know, pushing back on paying for online content. But that's not the case in China. So we'll break that down in just a moment. First up, Corey. Charlie Pellet with World and National News Headlines. And let's focus on what's happening on Wall Street right now. We have got the Dow, the S&P, NASDAQ. They are all pushing higher. 28 minutes uh, to go ahead of that closing bell. We have got the S&P up 4 to 23.98, four points away from a record higher by two-tenths of 1%. The Dow up 42, also higher by two-tenths of 1%. NASDAQ a little changed up by less than half a point right now at 61.33. The 10-year down 9.30 seconds with a yield of 2.29%. And gold is down 10. 20 the ounce to 12.51, a drop of eight tenths of one percent. Crude oil, West Texas Intermediate, up seven tenths of one percent, up 33 cents a barrel to 51.46 on WTI. Shares of AutoZone, uh, they are moving lower now by 10.5% after the company reported profit and sales that missed estimates. And with more, here's Bloomberg's Steve Potter. AutoZone's net income trailed the low end of analyst estimates, while sales for stores open at least one year declined eight-tenths of a percent. The car parts distributor joined a chorus of retailers saying U.S. tax return delays hurt demand early this year. Walmart stores and Foot Locker also said customers curbed spending in the early months of the year while waiting on tax refunds. Goldman Sachs says legislation passed in 2015 to prevent fraud may have postponed funds being remitted to 25 million to 30 million U.S. households this year. Steve Podusk, Bloomberg Radio. And this update is brought to you by National Realty. Managers of New York City cash flow real estate providing you 10 to 16 percent annualized returns with immediate monthly distributions. See them at nria.net. Stocks higher across the board here. S&P up three points, a gain of two-tenths of one percent. The Dow up 38, also up two-tenths of one percent. NASDAQ just turning negative again, has been swinging between gains, uh, gains and losses down now by a point. I'm Charlie Pellet, and that's a Bloomberg Business Flash. Yes, indeed, Charlie Pellet with a Bloomberg Business News Flash. Carol Master, Corey Johnson, this is Bloomberg. It pays, they pay. (laughs) Things are different in China, not least of which because people are willing to pay for content. Imagine a world where people plunk down some change to get the latest news or Whatever's going on, Selena Wang has that story from Bloomberg News, a global technology reporter. And, Selena, I, I found this story just so fascinating because I think it's, you know, for all the stories we talk about, right, fake news, President Trump, 
Roger Ailes. What is, you know, the, one of the things is the collapse of newspapers and the collapse of people being willing to pay for news and information, but that's not the case in China? It's absolutely fascinating because when you think of China, it's a place where there's more lax intellectual property rights and you would never think, the content is also highly regulated and you wouldn't think of it as a place where people are so willing to pay for content. But there's been an explosion, um, investors call it a revolution in China right now for knowledge paying services. And there's a whole host of reasons for why that is. But one of the reasons I find really fascinating is that China is now a place where many young people, hundreds of millions of young people are living in these giant, giant like soulless uh, metropolitan cities where the cost of living is very high and there's an intense intense hunger for quality knowledge, not just any news you can find on Baidu or whatnot, but real quality knowledge that will help them get ahead in life. So this, um, you know, journalist turned millionaire that I talked to, his column on this Chinese app called Duda is really about, let me tell you the a really intense digest of what you need to know for the day and for you to succeed in this crazy, fast-paced world. It's so interesting, right? Because in our world here in the United States, we have this advertising-backed model, but that's not the case in China. No, when you think about the biggest tech companies in China, they really aren't based off of an advertising-based model. I and mean, if you look at Alibaba, it's an e-commerce-focused model. I mean, advertising is obviously a part of it. It's not the main part. And then Tencent was built off of mobile gaming. And another really interesting aspect of all of this, I spoke to Jenny Lee. She's of a longtime investor in China, and she said that mobile gaming actually played a very important role in the development of people in China being so comfortable paying on their phones, on apps. Uh, If you think about mobile gaming in China, it was this free-to-play model. So unless your app was really fun, people weren't going to use it, and they would actually pay more to have more fun at the game. So these apps learned how to put in these gamification elements to get people to pay. And that made users really comfortable transacting online. Right. And and then we see Tencent monetize that base of mobile gaming users to make this gigantic messaging service called WeChat. And that app now has exploded in beyond mobile gaming to messaging and also content paying services as well. Um, is is there something culturally that's different there? I mean, I, you know, I, I feel like when the, when the internet first came into existence and the web started having more and more information on it, one of the sort of rules was people just didn't want to pay. Firewalls weren't working, and 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 the things there was some someone always willing to offer it for free. And a race to the bottom kind of eviscerated the news business with present company excluded. Is something different in China? I think there's a number of things that are different in China, and one of them is the way that the mobile payments uh, industry developed there. So the banking and payments infrastructure was not on the same path in China as it was in the U.S., and tech companies really took advantage of that. So, you know, credit card penetration in the U.S. is incredibly high, and because of that, Mobile payments haven't really taken off. Apple Pay has really struggled here. But if you look at China, mobile payments is very much penetrated through the population. And a lot of the reason why is because people really um, didn't have other options. It wasn't a credit card heavy country. Um, and on top of that, a lot of people never even had PCs in China. The phone was actually their first experience, their first way of getting to the internet. So if your mobile device is your only thing, you do everything on it. You pay pay for things on it and you're used to paying for things on it. And content is one of those things that people are very comfortable paying for now. 
Selena, do we by any chance start to see what's happening in China maybe come back this way to the U.S. where people get more comfortable, more willing to pay for content? I think we are starting to see that in some way, shapes, and forms. Certainly in the broadcast traditional world, we're willing to do it. Yeah, and I think live streaming is something we haven't really touched on. Live streaming's absolutely exploded in China. Um, it's becoming a billions and billion dollar industry where people are paying uh, hostesses virtual gifts, which is very lucrative for the hostesses and the companies doing these live streaming services. And the closest thing I can find to that in the U.S. is is Twitch, yeah. um, Am- which is owned by Amazon. They've started uh, this thing where you can cheerlead your uh, favorite gamer and give them basically essentially kind of these virtual gifts and uh there is a a china-based app called a company called cheetah mobile and they've started a u.s-based app called live.me that has started experimenting with virtual gifting and it's seemed to have gotten some traction so far it's changing yeah so maybe they aren't so different than a few I was feeling racist for a minute there, Selena. Bailed me out. <laughs> what? Corey, what? Our Bloomberg News Cobalt Technology <laughs> Reporter showing us that there's hope for the future of media. Maybe. This is Bloomberg. It is time for a check on your latest world of national news headlines. We head on over to Adrian Mitchell in our Bloomberg 991 newsroom in Washington. Hi, Adrian. Hi, Carol. British police say Salman Abedi was the suicide bomber who killed 22 people in Manchester, but they don't know whether he was part of a terrorist group. Former CIA Director John Brennan says U.S. intelligence showing communication between Russia and the Trump campaign raised questions about whether there was any cooperation. I encountered and am aware of information and intelligence that um, revealed contacts and interactions between Russian officials and U.S. persons involved in the uh, Trump campaign. Brennan told the House Intelligence Committee he doesn't know whether there was collusion. President Trump's budget would hit many of his low-income supporters hard. Its $3.6 trillion in cuts target the safety net for the poor. It's expected to find little support in Congress. The Senate is looking at health care reform and finding that the House-passed American Health Care Act could hurt rural medicine. Rural America is already reeling from health care issues. There are doctor shortages, a longer commute to providers. In a lot of cases, they tend to be older and sicker, um, and they also have higher um, risk of death from a variety of health conditions like heart disease, cancer, accidental injury. Bloomberg BNA's Victoria Pelham. With hospitals closing, with so many people relying on Medicaid um, in these areas, could have a huge impact. So senators are thinking long and hard before making changes in areas that have seen improvements with the expansion of Medicaid. Bloomberg's Nancy Lyons, Global News, 24 hours a day. I'm Adrian Mitchell.